This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Is Dean there? It's Charlie here. Um, huh, interesting. I was expecting to hear Dean's voice. He's in the studio, as far as I know. And I'm at home broadcasting on Skype. Hope we're not talking over top of each other right now, because I can't actually hear him for some reason. Uh, anyhow, let me uh, zero right in on, on the number one priority here, which is there are some upcoming events. Um, there's some the meetings continue to happen. The Hort Societies are active, mostly through Zoom. Uh, one would be our favorite Riverdale Horticultural Society, which who are meeting this Wednesday, December the 8th. And um, there's a regular Zoom meeting, uh, 7 p.m. The speaker is Michael Erdman, and the topic is cheap and cheery Christmas decor. Um, if you attend this meeting, you have a chance to win one of these cheap and cheery Christmas decorations that Michael's going to make. So for more information, triple W Riverdale Horticultural, that's one word, Riverdale Horticultural dot CA. And um, the other meeting that's happening is the Agent Court Garden Club. They're very active. They're a fun group too. If you like to get involved with some fun people, Tune in with the Agent Court Garden Club. That's Monday, December 13th. As Again, it's a Zoom meeting at 7 p.m. And uh, what else? Email. You don't even need to join the club. They love hearing from everybody. The uh, speaker is Dave Chapman, and he's going to be speaking about Niagara Falls, nature, and weather, and I guess all the connections thereof. So a quick email to Cheryl.Penner at Hotmail. Dot com will work just fine to get you the Zoom link to get into that particular meeting. So um, do it if you can. Phone numbers, quickly. I'm going to give you some phone numbers, and hopefully you will give us a call, and hopefully we will also figure out where what's going on here because I'm floating around by myself in Prince Edward County. I want to hear what's going on in your garden. Tips and tricks. Local, 416 Three six zero zero seven forty or eight six six seven four zero four seven four zero. Back right after this. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey there, Charlie. How are you? I'm great. Nice to hear your voice, where Dean is located in the studio. I am, and yeah. I'm in the Zoomerplex. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, good. You can hear me now? 
I can, yes. Excellent. So, so I've, and I got the garden wings here, too, you know, for any first-time callers. And I think we have some people calling in, but I did want to give out the numbers again. So if you're in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Or, of course, uh, anywhere in Toronto, anywhere outside of Toronto, I should say, one 866 We want you to call often, call early, and, of course, one question uh, per call, please. How's your week been, Charles? Uh, it's been really good. We went from yeah. a winter wonderland into uh, mildness and yeah. rain and warmth, and now we've got some more stuff blowing in as I sit in my office and watch things turning white again, which is lovely. I Give me snow. I mean, the garden loves snow. So, you know, if it's going to be winter, let's have snow. That's yeah, for favorite. sure. Yeah, of course. And I've, I've learned, you know, from, from you already, you know, that that helps to insulate everything, right? So that, that snow is really important. It is. It is for sure. And listen, I gave you some homework and I gave myself the same homework. We we're going to come up with some good kind of ideas, gifts for gardeners. I'm yeah. wondering if you have one you'd like to share. Well, I did. You know what? I found this this tool online, which kind of intrigued me. Is Are you familiar with what they call a Hori Hori tool? I, ha- I am actually, yeah. Okay. And it looks kind of neat. It's this a knife and a saw and a trowel. And you can even even, uh, even use it for hammering stakes in, apparently, to the ground. So, and so, so spell, yeah. Spell that for everybody. How do you spell that? So it's H O R I H O R I. Right. So the Hori Hori tool. Japan originally. Yeah. So, yeah. but I was curious what you thought about it. Whether you were better to stick with a set of separate tools, or whether this is actually a good deal. You know what? I think everybody has their own sort of favorite tools. Uh, I know I get burdened with, if I carry too many tools into the garden, mm-hmm. but uh, I have some favorites, and and a, a number of them are multi-purpose, like you say. You know, they they dig, they cut, they you know they do all kinds of things, and your soil matters too, right? Some of us are working in a nice loose soil, and we can really easily dig, and then some of us are working in serious clay. Or, you know, just really hard to get through soil and, and the tools bend and, you know, it's just not a good thing. So yeah. everyone's got to kind of figure out what's going to work best for them. Right. Listen, uh, Charlie, we've uh, already got the, the lines are going. So, you know what, I would love to go to uh, uh, calling from Wyerton. We've got Dawn on the line. How are you this morning, Dawn? Oh, sorry. No, I think we're going to Diane, actually. Uh, okay. Diane. Sorry, Diane from Dorchester. How are you, Diane? Yes, I'm doing well. How about you guys? We're great. Okay, um, I'm calling in because I listened to Charlie faithfully, and I had my husband slugging it out there trying to do leaves, and we got the snow. <laughs> and uh, we never got that last fertilizer on Charlie, and we had uh, top dressed in September. And mm-hmm. I'm just afraid we want to top dress again in the spring. So uh, it, since we've missed this fertilizer now, because we still have... He was afraid that the leaves, you know, covered too much of the grass, and so there wouldn't be any purpose in putting that fertilizer down. It'd be a waste. So um, when can we, at the earliest, put it in the spring so that we can top dress again without interfering with fertilizer on the on the grass? Well, I think the first thing to think about, Diane, is did you, did you get a chance or your husband get a chance to remove the leaves from the lawn? Most of them, not all of them, but uh, we've got 11 trees of our own, and we've got a few, and we do rake them, and a few neighbors have oak trees and some other trees, and they think, well, the neighbors like their leaves, so they don't rake, and it blows to everybody else's property. 
Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, if, if nothing else, do your best to remove all leaves from lawns. Okay. No problem leaves in the garden, but leaves yep. on the lawn will suffocate the lawn. Okay. And, um, of course, the fertilizer you mentioned, this is something you've purchased already. Is it a fall fertilizer that, that your husband has got stashed away in the garage? Um, I don't think he even went out and got it yet. He was waiting until he could get okay. uh, those leaves up. Okay, yeah, so I was just going to say, if you've put away a bag of fall or winterizing lawn fertilizer and you can't get it down now, though, honestly, I mean, it's a bit chilly, no question, but you could actually put fertilizer out right now. Uh, but lift the get the leaves up first, get the fertilizer out, and then walk away. You could do that. I assume you don't have any snow on the ground. And that fertilizer will basically just sit there until the conditions are right for the fertilizer to be released from the little pellets that you're going to drop down. So it's actually not yet too late. I wouldn't fertilize on the snow, but you can no. certainly fertilize uh, right now onto bare, bare lawns. Okay. Um, what, what would you suggest for the fertilizer? What uh, would, would be oh, the number? Well, it's got, it'll say right on the bag that it's a winterizer or a fall fertilizer. Okay. Number will be a very low first number and a fairly high third number and a medium one in between. So, yes, the fall or winterizer fertilizers are low nitrogen, which is the first number, but high potassium, which is the last number. And that just helps the lawn come through in good condition in the spring so that, yes, indeed, you can get out there and top dress and overseed whenever you can once, once you can walk on the lawn. Yeah, because it's amazing what the fertilizer can do because I thought, you know, the lawn, the one fall looked terrible. And in the spring, mm -hmm. everybody was saying how marvelous our lawn looked. And then, but if you don't get that fertilizer back on again, then mm -hmm. uh, it starts to look uh, pretty uh, sad and, you know, in just a couple of months. But your top dressing helps too, that when you're top yeah. dressing and overseeding, that really, really makes a difference. Okay, so, but how long, though, should I wait then, even in the spring, because we always fertilize in the spring? Can I do the fertilizer in the spring and then put the, put the seed down, or uh, wait uh, uh, for uh, uh, doing the fertilizing before we top dress? No, do your top dressing and overseeding when you can start walking on the lawn, when it is not soggy in the spring. Okay. So might be April, it might be May, it might be March, hard to know. But do that top dressing and overseeding as your priority first. Yeah. Then four weeks from that date, and you can put out a spring fertilizer. But that's at, um, four to six weeks even, uh, because you're going to do that fall or winterizer fertilizer now. Okay? Thank you so very, very much. Very welcome. Okay. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You Thanks. too. Thanks for the call there, Diane. Uh, listen, I'm going to give out those numbers quickly, but we have to go to a break in just a second. Uh, again, in Toronto, 416-360-0740. Anywhere else in the province, 1-866-740-4740. We'll be right back, Charlie, and I'm pretty sure I got a first-time caller on the line. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey, we're back with The Garden Show. I'm Dean Holland, and I'm here with Charlie Dobbin. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a first-time caller on the line there, Charlie. Linda, from uh, just north of my neck of the woods, from Midland. How are you this morning, Linda? 
I'm great. Thank you, Dean. Good. I have to. I have to officially give you your garden wings. Okay. So here you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, thank well, you. Well, <laughs> Hi. Hi. I have there. a question, Charlie, about a, a gardenia plant. I got mm-hmm. the most beautiful gardenia plant in the spring, and it's constantly dying. I try keeping it. Now I brought it indoors. I feed it good. I don't know why. Um, The leaves just drop off. And I was wondering if you could give me any idea how to keep it over the winter season. Okay, so when you say, so the leaves fall off, does it set, are there buds on it ever? Do you get any? There were when I bought it, but no, they dropped off and the leaves start turning black and, yeah. Yeah. Okay, gardenias, don't blame yourself. Gardenias are very tough plants to, I mean, we can keep them alive, but it's very hard to have a gardenia thrive in our our winter homes. The conditions that they need are exactly opposite to what we have. They want high humidity, the higher the better. You know, 80% humidity, like a sauna would be perfect. They like the heat, the warmth. They want bright, bright light. And believe it or not, they want to be kept constantly moist. So they've got high water needs, high light needs, and high humidity needs. Uh, So if you can provide all that. Now, one of the ways you can do that simply is make a pebble tray. So a pebble tray is just like a, it could be a cookie sheet or a, any, any kind of a tray that is uh, waterproof. Put some gravel or pebbles into the bottom of the tray. Mm-hmm. Sit the, so the gardenia pot on top of the gravel or pebbles and keep water in the tray at all times. That, what that will do is that will be constantly evaporating water around the plant, but the plant won't actually be sitting in the water. And that's oh. important. Okay. That will help okay, us. I've been feeding it my vegetable water every night and trying to. I bought a special plant that holds the water. Uh, I mean, I bought a special pot that holds the water. Um, but okay. it's still not um, wanting to thrive for me. Um, uh, when I love you say plants so much, my favorite flowers, and <laughs> I'm having a hard time with it. <laughs> it was my mom's favorite flower too. The um, but when you say a pot that holds the water, it's a uh, slow release uh, self watering pot. Uh, no, it's the um, the heavy, heavy um, uh, copper color pot yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. that holds the water. Mm. Um, all right. And the other thing is make sure it's not in any drafts. Make sure there's no hot air vent blowing on it. You know, we need oh. to put it in a window, but our windows mm-hmm. is where our vents are. So okay. make sure you've got a vent deflector over the vent so there's no hot air blowing on the plant and no cold drafts either. It just really wants a, a nice tropical atmosphere in your living room, that's all. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for your advice, Charlie. Appreciate yeah. it, and Merry Christmas to you and Dean. And oh. you too. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks very much, Linda. Well, okay. I just I just got a new idea for a Christmas gift. Maybe, maybe a sauna would be good. <laughs> <laughs> To keep your plants to in. To keep your plants in. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Speaking of gifts for gardeners, I want to share with you with you one that I love and have had for years. It comes every year, and it's published every year. It's called the Toronto and Golden Horseshoe Gardener's Journal. Oh, okay. So, yeah, and so you might have heard about gardener's journals. It's the idea that you track on a seasonal basis 
all the different things that are working or aren't working in your garden. And, and you'd be amazed what we forget over the years and how much these journals are such good little memory, uh, you know, just gets you remembering, oh, yeah, that was really good that year. I got to do that again. Or, oh, yeah, I got to avoid that. So these journals, are, you know, they people have been keeping journals forever and ever. But what's cool about this one is it's highly organized. It comes with tips, weekly tips on things to do both inside and outside. It comes with, um, uh, you know, graph paper so you can sketch up some designs mm -hmm. when you're thinking things. It comes for places to uh, put your any photographs. And it's a source book. So it's multi, multi pages of source information from across southern Ontario. So it's um, magazines, books, events, radio shows like this one, TV shows, yeah. just all kinds of really, really cool stuff. And it is published in Toronto. It has been published for many years. It was all started by Margaret Bennett Alder, and she's now taking a back seat. And the, the Battersby girls, they call themselves those yeah. Battersby girls, they now do the publishing. So for more information, anybody who would like to get a hold of this book and share it with a, with a gardening friend, uh, it's just garden, what is it? Gardenjournals.ca. Okay. So gardenjournals.ca. Uh, or you can pick it up at Indigo or Sheridan Nurseries. It's it's available sort of all over the place. And like I say, it's a wonderful, wonderful source book. Wow, that sounds like a great gift. Listen, I, can we do, uh, do a quick email? Because uh, we, we heard from uh, Doris uh, a couple of weeks ago now, and she was asking about wintering her strawberry plants. And and I'm curious about that. Um, she she says here that she listens to uh, your show all the time, and uh, she loves the info that she gets. But she is curious on how to properly winter her strawberry plants. So Doris didn't tell us where she was writing from, so I can't be very specific because it does make a difference where you're gardening. Uh, however, it, generally speaking, strawberries are pretty tough plants. Um, so depending on, because we, we usually have them in full sun, um, they're usually planted into a, a nice fertile, well-drained soil, so hopefully they're not in any kind of a soggy spot where water collects. Some strawberries do not like to be kept soggy. Many people will get a hold of something like straw or they'll, you know, they'll do that fall decor around their home at uh, Halloween or Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And then they've got that straw bale kicking around and tear that all apart and use that around the strawberry plants. Not necessarily over top of the strawberries, but you, you, you sort of lift the leaves and you put handfuls around the plants and it's just to keep the plants above ground keep them dry keep them clean and if she is you know up even in the berry area or your you know collingwood area yeah i'd be inclined to even put some straw right over top of the strawberries but you know if she's down in st Catharines or beamsville then i wouldn't i wouldn't you're more likely to cause them to rot with with um straw on top so but they're pretty simple N nothing too complicated and then be prepared to move that straw away in the spring once the snow melts and things are starting to warm up. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Uh, and, hey, it's another first-time caller. So going to Etobicoke this time. Got Gina on the line. How are you this morning, Gina? Hi there. Hi. I get to give you, okay. your, gar I get to give you your garden wings, my dear. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. You earned them. Um, my question is about this past summer I had a real battle with Cow bugs or roly polies. Um, I don't know why this year they were so bad. Was it just their time, or 
I did put a lot of rocks in my garden. Could that have caused it? Well, what were they doing that was bothering you? They were there was just thousands of them, and they were, you know, eating my plants. And no, they don't eat live things. They eat dead stuff. They're kind of like ants. They're scavengers. They they clean up the garden, believe it or not. So they should. I'd be surprised if you saw. I mean, if there was, I guess, if there was quadrillions of them, then they might have resorted to some of the live plant material. But generally. Generally, you'll find what we call sow bugs or roly polies. They 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 like a baby armadillos, right? So they they roll into a little tiny ball. They or pill bugs. You can they turn into a little ball bearing as a way to protect themselves. They you'll find composters are usually full of them because they are chowing down on all the decaying uh, plant material in the composter. They also don't like the light, so they're always going to be hiding in dark spots, like under your pots and like I say in your composters. Um, they, uh, they, insects do tend to, uh, the populations tend to be cyclical. So it is possible that it was just a really big year. It also could be that you did something in your garden. You added a bunch of organic material perhaps this spring and they love, love, love all that organic stuff. So they might have just, uh, see, you might've seen a population increase because of that, but, but I wouldn't really stress them um there is a product out there made by miracle grow or scots which is a slug and snail poison which poisons them but does not hurt the garden at all not actually fertilizes the garden and does not hurt birds or, or pets or anything so a slug and snail bait now whether that would work on sow bugs i'm not sure whether they'd be attracted to it but it's worth a try uh because like i say it won't hurt anything and and if you had a lot of rain or you have a very shady garden that might be part of it as well that they're they just love the the cool darkness in shady spots so it, it might just have been a, a kind of a coming together of a whole bunch of things that you ended up with all the sow bugs in the whole neighborhood so they're not eating my plants and something else must have been. Oh, yes, that's my that's where the slugs and snails come in. See, it, the conditions for sow bugs are also the conditions for slugs and snails. So yes, even more importantly, uh, put it on your Christmas list that you want a package or a pouch of slug and snail bait. Uh, it's available in, in anywhere in Ontario. Uh, it is completely non-toxic to anything except those horrible little slugs and snails. And we, we don't mind killing them at all. Or I don't. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. You're very welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Gina. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, I was just laughing there. I thought, that's like almost, for the kids, my kids, that would be almost akin to uh, getting coal in your stocking, getting a package of slug killers. <laughs> ah, no, no, no. We're talking <laughs> gifts for gardeners here, my right, friend. Right, of course. <laughs> Cool tools, including killing killing machines. Killing me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> great. I also, I, I have another email here, but before I get to that, I do want to give out your email address if anybody has a question and they'd rather do that, although we'd love you to call. And uh, we do have lines open, so please give us a call. But if you want to email Charlie, that's c.dobbin at mzmedia.com. Okay, so, you know, then you can do it any time of the night or day and send her a question. And some people even send you photos, too, don't they, Charlie? Quite often, yeah. That's the great thing about email that we don't get, obviously, on the radio. When somebody needs, you know, what's wrong with my plant question and can send a photo, it's far easier to diagnose than yeah. over 
radio. <laughs> well, phone. and it does seem like this uh, gentleman uh, sent you a photo here. Uh, he said, we live in a 110-year-old house in High Park of Toronto. We have a bush in the backyard that was here when they moved in 30 years ago. Uh, he says, in the fall, it goes a very unusual and beautiful color transformation. Most of the time, it's mostly red to yellow. But for a few days, just a few days, ain't it? it's a purple color. And he says he sent you a photo. And he's wondering if it is is Barbary. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is from John. Thank you for the email and yeah. the photograph. And yes, indeed, it is Barbary. So Barbary... As you might know, because I know you're a pretty avid gardener, uh, Dean, Barbary, it's called that because it has barbs. It's a very thorny plant. Now, it was a popular hedge plant. Barbary, the proper name is Berberus vulgaris. It's quite a popular ornamental plant. You know, even like 100 years ago, 50 years ago, it would be planted as a hedge because nobody in their right mind would try and ever cross (laughs) through this hedge. Right. Because... It's like barbed wire, really. Um, now, it, the, I think what John has in his uh, his old home, his old High Park home, over 100-year-old home, is a very old variety, the one I'm referring to from way back. So that is a non-native plant. It is very dense, very spiny, and, of course, it does give a beautiful fall color. Uh, yes, purple, purplish-green leaves uh, throughout the growing season and then a nice bright uh, um, pinky-purple in the fall. The thing is um, that happened was that there was a recognition that this plant, and I believe it's exactly the plant that John's got, is a plant that carries a disease that can infect wheat. That's wheat with a stem rust, which is a very serious fungal disease of wheat. Well, you say to yourself, who cares in High Park? Nobody's growing wheat in High Park, so it's fine if he's got this Barbary even if it's the host of the stem rust. But because it's such a serious disease, this plant was widely um, made illegal. Like it's, you, you cannot uh, propagate that plant, you cannot sell that plant, you cannot plant that plant, but if you own it, you can keep it. It's like grandfathered in sort of thing. Um, so bottom line is that's the variety he's got. In the last 25 years, a whole bunch of breeding was done and some varieties of Barbary were introduced onto the market which do not host the stem rust of wheat. So you can still go to the store, you can buy a fresh, you know, there's golden Barbaries, there's purple Barbaries, there's little short round mounded ones, there's tall waterfall arching Barbary, there's all kinds of beautiful Barbary out there, but I'm pretty sure the one that John has is that very old variety. So whatever you do, John, enjoy it, uh, don't propagate it, and recognize that it is an, an illegal plant to have. It's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it, it, keep it, enjoy it, keep it under control, And it, but it's pretty. I mean, there's no question. Um, you, you are allowed to keep that plant. What's the other nice thing about it is that it provides a shelter for ticks, well, maybe not that cool, but it is a deer-resistant plant. So since deer don't go near it, ticks tend to hide in it. So if you're in a tick, high tick area, population area, then recognize Barbary can be a tick shelter. Hmm. Wow, that's crazy. So uh, marijuana used to be the illegal plant to have in your garden, and now it's Barbary. <laughs> I know, I saying, it's kind of like growing cannabis in your front yard. Yeah. But no can grow cannabis in your front. <laughs> you can now. Exactly. We have to go to a short break, uh, but when we come back, uh, we've got some callers on the line, okay? We'll be right back. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias.
Juniors, Forsythia and Fox Clubs, Marigolds, Magnolia, Lavender and Lupins, Dahlias, Delphiniums, Stalks, Fox, Hollyhocks, Tulips and Sweet Williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. <laughs> Morning, Dean, you there? I'm not hearing Dean. All right, I'm going to share another gift, gifts for gardeners. If you've got gardeners on your list that need or dream about cool tools for the garden, I mentioned the Gardener's Journal, which comes out of the Toronto area. And, you know, it says right on it, it's for the Toronto and Golden Horseshoe. But seriously, it's for the all of Southern Ontario. But, you know, it's another great uh, spot to pick up a gift certificate or a really nice option for somebody on your list is the Urban Nature Store. So very simple website, urbannaturestore.ca. They do have physical stores, a lot of them all across Southern Ontario. But I, um, I've enjoyed some of the, the they, they do birds and bird, you know, bird feed, bird accessories. They have all kinds of cool you know, binoculars, pond accessories. I got a nice little solar powered fountain from them that goes in my bird bath, which I love. And the birds love it. So that has been a, a real bonus as well. Just having that, that, that movement, that water movement. Completely solar powered, so no electricity required. Doesn't work, obviously, when a cloud comes over. But uh, the birds love it. They they bathe in my bird bath, and they've got a fancy new bird bath to go with my solar powered uh, little pond or little fountain. So yeah, really a, a very great store with a lot of great accessories. So take a look at the UrbanNatureStore.ca and see if anything jumps out at you and your gardening buddies that you can pick up something for them. I mean, Charlie, I got a caller on the line. How are you? I'm, You're good? I'm good. Good, okay. Uh, and I've got Sophie on the line from my hometown of Hamilton. How are you today, Sophie? Good morning to both of you. Thank you so much, Charlie. Hi. I have, um, I'm confused about my Mandevilla. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, during the winter in the house, it grew beautifully. It had all these long strands trying to reach up to the ceiling. So springtime, I cut all that down, took it outside. Mm-hmm. It did nothing. It stayed green, but no bloom, no nothing. So now wintertime, I'm bringing it back, back in the house, and guess what? Long mm-hmm. strands, it woke up. What did I do wrong? Well, you know, I, I think what you did was, was the right thing. So, uh, you know, I'm just... You obviously had it in full sun when it was outside all summer? Uh, sun, yes, and then shade again uh, as the day moved on. Oh, oh, oh I see. You moved it around? No, uh, it stayed uh, in the same spot. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. So it had morning sun, you mean, and, and that was like a couple hours morning sun? Yes. Okay. Uh, what? So what I would do is... Um, Number one, next spring, when you take it outside, when we are frost-free, you will put it in, start it in in a lower light situation. But if you can move it into a spot where it's going to get six hours of direct sunlight minimum every day, you'll have a better chance of flowers being formed. The other thing is start consistently fertilizing it in March and fertilize every single month, starting in March, 
through till July with a flowering plant fertilizer of one kind or another. Mm-hmm. Choose whatever kind of one grabs you or what you've got in your cupboard. For now, though, for the winter, you, you do have it in a sunny location, I assume, in your house? Yes, I'm getting a sun from the windows, yes. Right, and the windows don't have shears or curtains or anything? Uh, no. Okay. And just, I'll let you know what the optimal conditions are. The the plant wants as much, the mandevilla, summer and winter, wants as much sun as you can give it. So maximize the light on it. The cooler temperatures are better. I know most of our homes are kept, you know, 70-ish Fahrenheit, but this plant over the winter really wants more like 55, 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 12 to 15 celsius and the watering is important in the sense that you want to water sparingly you only want to water it enough to keep the potting mix from becoming bone dry so that means you are going to none of this sort of like in the summer you know how we pour the water on and then five or six days later or even two days later we have to do it again not in the winter in the winter you are just going to keep this plant alive barely by barely watering it uh now you know you have a moisture meter if it's a deep pot or know the depth know the weight of the pot you know you don't want to kill it with no water but you do need to water it very sparingly and the cooler temperatures will help with it not using much water as well if there's any possibility you can move it into like an unused bedroom or some some part of your house where it's bright and sunny but you can keep it cooler than the rest of the house Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, so the only way that it would bloom would be by feeding it uh, fertilizer for no, flowering that plants. And that keeping it more in uh, six hours sunlight and then in the shade? Well, usually if a plant is in about six hours of sunlight, then you're right. Uh, the sun is moving, so it'll be shady perhaps in the morning and shady perhaps in the evening. I mean, the southern exposure is the most, the best. It's the brightest, the longest number of hours, both inside and outside our homes. And a mandevilla really, I, I, I think probably all those long viney things you're getting is probably more water-based. And remember as well to get plants, you know, too much water, sorry when I say water-based, but um, when we look after our plants too well, sometimes they don't flower. Too much loving care uh, stops the flowering. So you do have to, that's where the stress comes in. You're going to stress that plant by watering it less. So loving it is stressing it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Loving it is making it just be a happy green plant. You want flowers, though, so you have to stress it to get the flowers. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be a happy green plant if you keep loving it that much. Oh, (laughs) thank you, Charlie. Okay. Thanks so much, Sophie. For your help, I appreciate it. Thank you, both of you. Take care. Thank you very much. Uh, We have to take a short break there, Charlie, but then I'll have another question when we come back. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Hey, we're back on The Garden Show, and Charlie, this may never happen again on the show. Our last caller was from my hometown of Hamilton, and now (laughs) we get to go to my home of the last 18 years. We get to go to Collingwood. We've got Lauren on the line. How are you, Lauren? Good, thank you. Morning. Good morning, Charlie. I have a wisteria plant. Mm -hmm. It's a vine, and... It's got to be at least 16 years old, and it's never bloomed. All 
right. So, and you planted this plant, did you? Yes, I did. Okay. Was it blooming when you bought it? No, no. Uh, all right. So that's one of the tips. If it, for anybody else who's thinking about buying and planting wisteria, try and buy a plant that is blooming when you buy it, because then at least you know it blooms. They do tend to be a little challenging to get to bloom. And we always say they've got to be at least minimum six to seven years old before they'll even think about blooming. So they, you know, they don't bloom as as young plants. They have to get a little older. Now, wisteria can live for a very, very long time. So a six-year-old wisteria might seem old odds, but it's actually a baby. Um, There, I have a great photo I use with my students at Durham College of a wisteria vine in Japan that is 144, well, it's now 150 years old. It is just incredible in bloom. But um, your job as an owner of a wisteria is to prune it. Have you got it growing on something very, very sturdy, like a fence or yes, a Yes, I have a, a vine, a, a, a pergola, I guess it's called, and uh, I prune it every fall. Okay, well, you're going to have to prune it more often, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, so when you prune, is there anything in particular you've been pruning, any particular par- parts of the plant you've been concentrating on? Uh, well, basically the top, because it grows up at least 10 feet. In right. Height. Right. Well, so, so the, got, you have these long veins that grow out. That's right. Long, long shoots and right. kind of like the mandevilla that um, uh, uh, Sophie was just talking about, that, you know, it's got this crazy big, um, you know, long, long green shoots. They just shoot out, you know, a meter overnight almost. So, okay, so wisteria, I'm just quickly, because it's, I, I avoid wisteria myself. It just is quite a challenging plant, but it's absolutely gorgeous when it's blooming. So pruning. Pruning is the secret to good flowering because wisteria only blooms on new wood, so new growth. So you prune in late winter, not the fall, but late winter. You remove at least half of the prior year's growth, leaving just a few buds per stem. So what you've been trimming off in the fall, have you been sort of taking it down by half or have you been taking all that green stuff off? Well, Pretty well the green stuff at the top, the very top, maybe about three feet that you cut off, but the rest is all on the vine that grows up. Right, so don't just prune the top. You've got to look at this plant as a whole plant. You have to look at the tips, like you're saying, you know, the the tips where the growth has been happening. You've probably got lots and lots of branches with lots and lots of green tips on them. So take a look this spring. You can even sometime when you're outside in the winter, just study this plant with no leaves on it and recognize that you have to take all of last year's growth back by about a half before spring. That includes stuff at the top, at the sides, at the bottom. So you got to get out your pruners, not today, but, you know, in February or March, maybe even late March because you're in Collingwood on a dry day. And and you are you just it's one of those things that it's you need to thicken it up. 
by taking down that newer growth. You also control the size of the plant. And you also, when here in Ontario, I know that typically we'll also do another shearing or pruning in July after this plant blooms. So your first pruning is early, early spring or late winter. Hopefully you get some flowers happening in May and June, but those flowers will form on last year's growth. So you don't want to take off all of last year's growth. Otherwise you won't get flowers. And, uh, and then uh, later in July after the, the flowering, there's another shearing, another cutting it back. It's a plant that just wants to absolutely take over. Yeah, okay, Charlie, thank you. I just wanted to mention that the trunk of the plant is at least a good inch and a half in diameter. And it's going to get a lot bigger. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for calling. Yeah, people don't realize, and they'll put a wisteria, just so you know, Dean, on a pergola or a fence, and they don't how big and heavy these plants get and so that's why a sturdy support is so important i had no idea that it could live that's an incredible 150 years old for a a wisteria that's crazy it's gorgeous when when flowering gorgeous yeah yeah um are you are you do you have anything on your wish list i was thinking about that on the way in i thought i i don't think there's anything i could get you that you don't already have (laughs) yeah for me uh, could you uh, get me a windbreak? <laughs> <laughs> I will. I'll try my best. I'll look into that. I'll Google that. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my biggest issue is the wind. Uh, and but whatever, things are going to grow in eventually. It'll be fine. Yeah. Hey, let's we're almost at a racetrack. So we are. Thanks, thanks so much for making the drive down this morning. Oh, I my appreciate pleasure. your support and thanks, Carlos, for all your help as well and to our great callers. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Okay, will do. I look forward to it, Charlie. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.